Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Mel Hobson, welcome to the, the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And so you're, you're from the Academy of Sports Speed. It's something that you've, you've run for a while now. Can you let the audience know what it is that you teach there? Because I think it's, while you don't necessarily work with a lot of swimmers, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of crossover with what you teach uh, at the Academy of Sports Speed. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things that we need to do, and it doesn't matter what kind of athlete you are, is that we really look at um, developing the whole athlete. So we look at the skills that the coaches need the young athletes to be able to do, and then we look at their physical capabilities uh, to be able to do that. So we look at things that like uh, functional movement, their ability to be mobile through the joints that you know are required to be mobile. We look at elasticity. We look at the integrity of connective tissue structures, uh, which will most definitely impede performance if they're not uh, healthy and well. Uh, we look at the mechanics of the sport. So I think the first thing is to really analyze what an athlete needs for superior performance in their specific sport and then have a look at their physical capabilities and their capacities to do that, whether it be range of motion, elasticity, strength, power, explosiveness, but really looking at, yeah, the health of the and the integrity of the body to be able to do what their coach wants them to do. When I first saw what uh, what you guys do or heard about what you you teach i thought it was just such a an interesting concept just going really deep on one certain subject and that is primarily speed and, and i think also there's agility in there too but it's sort of what we do at effort swimming is it's primarily about technique uh, but then around that there's all there's a lot of other things from mobility mechanics and that sort of thing so with uh the athletes that you work with and there's a lot of uh, younger ones as well what mm. are some of the main things that you find that people probably haven't developed as much as you would like to see based on yeah. their, their lifestyle habits yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, as you said, the technical aspects of the sport are crucial and technical aspects of running, um, you know, a lot of people think that we run naturally, but, you know, running and sprinting especially, do you know what I mean, is a specific skill that needs to be taught to young athletes. Um, but I think that um, what we find is that because we're living in an age where people are very sedentary through the day, so especially, you know, students that are either at school or at university um, or even people in the workplace, we find that they're, you know, lying down in bed all night, then they're sitting down on some sort of tra form of travel, then they're sitting down, you know, throughout the day. And then they get to training in the afternoon and we expect their body to be able to, you know, do all these fabulous, you know, movements, whether it be explosive or, um, you know, strength or whatever the, the capability is that the, that the coach needs to them to do. But the body's not ready to do that anymore because of the sedentary nature of the, you know, the day, the working day. So what we find is that we get a lot of pelvic girdle restrictions that need to be looked at. We get a lot of um, calf complex and ankle restrictions. I mean, if you think of the, um, the capacity for all athletes to be able to go through plantar and dorsiflexion so just moving the foot you know up and down that's usually limited because of tight calf complex that we get in practically everyone that I see um, but the biggest issue is most definitely pelvic girdle restrictions that we get and that's from sitting down all day and any athlete doesn't matter what sport they do swimming included any athlete that's got pelvic girdle restrictions is going to be you know limited in the performance that they can give and assessing that what do you do to have a look at that in someone 
so, I mean, there's a lot of basic functional movements um, that we should be able to go through. So most um, strength and conditioning coaches, you know, will assess the squat, the capacity to lunge, the capacity to hinge. So if we're looking at those three movements, we're looking at whether or not an athlete can squat to the point where the hips can move straight through the range of motion and actually, you know, glutes to calf kind of um, action that we're looking at, a full squat, what we like to call a full squat. Um, and if an athlete can't do that, then we already know that they're going to be inhibited in their sporting actions through hip and, and ankle restrictions. Uh, in the lunge, for example, if a young athlete can't uh, control the knee um, as they lunge forward, so if we're getting instability in the knee structure, if it's dropping inwards or outwards, uh, then that's going to impact their capacity to be safe in their sport, especially any sport that requires uh, you know, explosiveness out of that hinge hinge joint and also in agility, um, change of direction. If someone can't lunge correctly, then we're not going to put them through any change of direction drills until they can do that. Um, and then the hinge is the capacity to stabilize the pelvis and stabilize the pelvis um, so that it's in a straight line fashion towards the ground, if you like, while being on one leg. So those things, primarily the squat and the line and the um, the hinge, would most definitely cross over to the physical capabilities required in swimming, especially when we talk about that explosiveness um, coming off the starting blocks. Yeah, it's it's something that we see a lot of is is really tight hip flexors, um, mm. and also around the I guess the whole pelvic girdle. I mean, I'm. That's it's not particularly my background. Uh, you know a lot more than I do about this stuff, but we mm. see it pop up all the time, particularly with triathletes from the running mm. and the riding, just so tight through the hips that it can be yeah. very hard to get the body position parallel to the surface where they've got this nice straight line all the way through the torso, through their hips yeah. and into their legs. They're just always in this, um, not sitting position, but they're sort of bent through the Yeah, the flex there. through the hips, yeah. And, yeah. and they creating that sorry. drag that slows, them, yeah, that slows them down. Absolutely, yeah. And the hip flexors is the biggest thing that's um, – uh, impeded upon because we're sitting all day. So they get into that shortened position and then they just stay there. Um, and if we think of the opposing muscle structure being the glutes and the glutes being the powerhouse, um, then if your glutes are always in a flex, in an elongated position because the hip flexors are always shortened and pulling you into that, even if it's a small hip flexed position, then the glutes aren't going to get that strong contractile activity that they need to either drive an athlete for horizontal propulsion or vertical propulsion or whatever it might be. And I can see in my mind I can see how that would dramatically impact the swimmers um, and cause that drag that you're referring to so having just a basic recovery um, strategy program for them to make sure that they can stretch through all angles of the pelvis you know the hip flexors the glute medius which controls stability of the pelvis um, you know stretching all through those areas that which are as you said in a shortened position all day just from sitting. So if you were to work with a uh, a swimmer or a triathlete who you know is really tight in all of those areas, what yeah. would be um, one thing that you'd have them include every time that they go for a run or go for a swim? What would you make them do to improve it? Yeah, I'm a big fan of yoga and there's one um, move in yoga which is a hip opening um, stance. It's called a uh, modified lotus position um, and it's 
pretty much a shin on shin position. So we're an athlete sitting down on the ground with their legs crossed. We then lift one foot up and make sure that the shin is of the top leg is sitting directly on top of the shin of the bottom leg. And if an athlete can get into that position without any pain or restrictions through the pelvis, then we pretty much know that they're not going to be impeded in any of their, um, you know, any of their movements in a sporting context. But the thing that I find is pretty much 99% of athletes that I see, um, are unable to get into that position. And that's because of those restrictions through the pelvis. And as you said, that tightness through the hip flexor. So, um, there's probably that one action as well as a, a full hip mobility program that I give to all athletes that we see to make sure that they're maintaining the integrity of the connective tissue structures, uh, which stabilize, but also allow for those movements um, that we need in the pelvis for good athletic performance. Mm, yeah. There's so much crossover there when it comes to swimming as well. We, uh, with a lot of the athletes we work with at clinics, they are in. Well, they can't really get into the ideal body position because they are so tight through the hips, and they're not able to use their glutes and their hammies to bring the leg up and keep it mm. fairly straight as they're bringing that leg up. So it's always like they're kicking more from the knee than from the hip, and so just uh, just learning how to move properly again is a really big one, and we, we're starting to see that a lot especially with um, with age group swimmers and age group clubs. Uh, they're just going through like a 20, 30-minute routine before each swim session that's just slow, controlled movements and just opening up through the shoulders, through the hips, through the, the, the pelvis and, and just... Um, yeah, and just, just going through all these different motions that they're probably not doing in their daily life because they're just sitting so often, whether it's at school or at work. Yeah, I think for, for any athlete, I think it's important to have a pre-training routine and that's where we do get them, you know, on their foam rollers, going through their range of motion um, requirements for the specific joints in the sport. We have them on the accu balls, do you know what I mean? Trying to, to you know, piriformis for us is a big one in terms of running piriformis gets really tight and then impacts the way in which the, the glutes act. So if your athletes can get a pre-training routine happening, which really works on their own weaknesses and, and making sure that their weaknesses are prepared for the training and the conditioning that the coach is going to put them through, they'll almost definitely allow them to get a higher level of performance from the effort that they put into the training. Mm. We, uh, we were in Thailand last year. Every year we run a, a Hell Week camp at, uh, at Tanya Pro there, which is a sports resort. And mm-hmm. the coach there, uh, Miguel Lopez, he has a, a group of swimmers and they often have national swimming teams come in with their athletes for a week or two weeks. And they had recently had the Dutch national team in and the, I think it was the physio there, he had put together this 30 minute routine that all of the, the Dutch swimmers were doing beforehand. And it was just some um, like very basic movements, but it was, yeah, they're doing that now. Yeah. Instead of like, you know, bringing the arm across the, the chest and, and stretching yeah. that way rather than just a static stretching. That's what they're moving to now because it's shown to be a lot more effective and, and it sounds like it's very similar to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you think what that does for the body in terms of preparing a young athlete for training, when we go through those um, mobility actions, you know, if you think of a swimmer going through mobility actions for their shoulders and their hips and their knees and their ankles, um, you know, that's going to encourage synovial lubrication. So we've got synovial fluid in all of our joint structures and it's like the oil of the the human body. And so by doing those mobility-based activities before training, we're really nourishing the joint structures before they go into 
performance training. So those sorts of things are really important for athletes to learn at a very young age. Mm. Now, when it comes to uh, explosiveness off the, the blocks, I mean, your background is is running, is track running, and I've seen some videos of yeah. you in the zero to 60 uh, meter races. And you are explosive <laughs> off the blocks. That's the only word for it. So how yeah. how could someone uh, who who is a, a pool swimmer, what are some things that you would look at or you look to include to develop that explosiveness off the blocks and off the turns? Yeah, look, the, the super cool thing is that explosiveness really comes from elastic strength and the stiffness of the tendons. So again, we're going back to that importance of the recovery strategies and we're going back to the importance of maintaining integrity of connective tissue structures and we're going back to the, um, you know, to the ankle again and how important the ankle is for plantar, for plantar flexion in athletic performance. And coming off the, um, the starting blocks in swimming is exactly that action. So if you think about the foot and how important that is, over 50 50% of our horizontal propulsion capacity comes from uh, the Achilles and the foot tendons. So we want to maximize the explosive drive off the blocks. They need to make sure that those tendons are intact. We want to make sure that the calf complex has that elastic quality that's desired for strong, um, you know, strong contractions. Um, and then I would most definitely in some of their land-based training be putting in some plyometric training. So, you know, basic, uh, you know, jumps and, you know, ankle jumps and things like that to to build that capacity of the tendons to be able to, you know, give them that explosiveness off the blocks that they need. Strength's obviously an important factor. So I know that swimmers do a lot of dry um, land, you know, dry um, base training now. It's not just all in the water um, the way it was a few decades ago. Um, and the other thing, obviously, you know, to engage the nervous system and the coordination to react to the starting stimulus is important as well. But I think if swimmers can really look after their feet, make sure that they're engaging in some sort of plyometric activity through the feet, that will definitely enhance uh, their reaction and their starting capacity. That's really interesting. A, a friend of mine whose thesis, which he has, I think he's almost completed, was looking at foot strength in relation to uh, someone's underwater kick or, or their dolphin kick mm. because it's always been the thing that, pe that they've looked at is ankle mobility and mm. it's never really been looked at with ankle strength. And so um, what he's finding is that uh, ankle strength is, uh, is really, really important to how fast someone's going to be able to, to do the underwater dolphin kick. And, it's, um, and again, it's just from by the sounds of it, it's about having the, uh, those tendons um, around the ankles, around the foot, just yeah. um, really secure and uh, and strong and developing that part of the body and it's it's you know when you you go so deep in in something like swimming or running there's all these little things that you start to learn and start to find out so mm. where like where would you uh, feel it, it's important for probably swimmers without um, you know having I guess that much experience working directly with swimmers but what do you think is probably most important for swimmers to, to work on when it comes to this stuff? I think just listening to what you were saying as well about the dolphin kick, I think that if you – I'm just visualising that action in my mind and I think you have to come back again – into that gym environment, into the classic athletic movement. So being able to squat, being able to uh, lunge, being able to hinge and getting that nice calf raise action as well, getting the strength through those muscles. Um, if we think of 
um, tendon integrity and strength, I mean, obviously the tendons connect the muscles to the bones um, and the connective tissue of the tendons actually run all the way through the muscular structure. So as we're increasing the strength of those muscles, we're increasing the tensile strength of the tendons as well. So I think that if we've got some for you know if we look at the weekly schedule of our swimmers and we identify when they're going to be doing their conditioning uh, sessions and their swim sessions and when we find appropriate times in the week to be able to put some gym based sessions as well to increase the strength of the athlete that doesn't mean that they're going to be heavy I mean female um, sprinters need to be extremely strong but they also need to be very light on their feet um, it's the same as footballers footballers need to be strong but light and I think that that swimmers um, probably fall under that same category so getting the strength increasing the molecular structure of the the um the muscles to give them the strength underwater um and also off the blocks but without causing any heaviness in the water mm. yeah ab- absolutely you see uh i mean back when they had the the super suits which was i think 2009 was the last mm. year when uh, where things got pretty ridiculous in the water they yeah. it was um especially the 50 100 meter guys they were really quite bulky because they could get away with it with yes. the extra buoyancy from the suits. But now you've seen quite a shift to being uh, a lot leaner, uh, especially for the, the sprint distance events, uh, events. And I mean, yeah, there's, there's definitely exceptions to that, but um, yeah, you do need to be, be lean and strong and you're not going to have uh, a, yeah, a really big and bulky swimmer who, yeah. Yeah, who can go that fast. Of course there are people, but for the most part, yeah, lean is uh, is what they're going to. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what sport you play. A stronger athlete is going to be a faster athlete. It doesn't matter what ranges of motion the limbs need to go through for their specific sport. The stronger athletes will always come out on top in terms of speed. So for us as speed specialists, um, we're looking for developing the physical capacities for speed, but also then looking at the mechanics for um, speed efficiency, put those two things together, and then you've got an athlete that's really unbeatable. Yeah, that that makes sense. And you've worked with a lot of runners and, and I know triathletes as well on their running technique. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you look for when it comes to running uh, running technique and some common mistakes that you often see? Running technique is really, really different depending on the speed in which you're going. So the work that I would do with marathon runners or triathletes uh, would be very, very different to the work that I would do for, you know, a 100-meter sprinter. Um, but what I find is that the mistakes are usually the same uh, in terms of, you know, whether it's a submaximal runner or a sprinter. So the mistakes usually come in terms of, again, those issues with the hips and the ankles. So what we find is that we'll get athletes that have too much torso rotation. We'll have um, athletes that have too much slack, which means that when they're running, if I use triathlete as an example, if a triathlete's running and they've got too much slack, it means that they're bouncing up and down on the spot rather than getting that that horizontal or forward propulsion that we need uh, for efficiency when we run. Um, It means that they don't have the stiffness for co-contraction upon landing. So every time their foot strikes the ground, their body collapses rather than being propelled almost like a pole vault, do you know what I mean, into the next step. So identifying why that is and whether or not it is a lack of strength, whether or not it's a pelvic girdle restriction that needs to um, be molded and overcome so the pelvis can move through the correct range of motion, whether or not it's um, something that's happening in the pelvis that's causing the hips 
the sorry their legs to sway out so if we look at the lower leg for example we get a lot of triathletes that have what we call windmilling which is where you look at the athlete from behind and you see the lower leg crossing over the midline of the body in each foot strike now if you've got a triathlete that's doing that then you know they're losing 10 15 centimeters off each stride so if you put into account how many steps they're taking through the triathlon that's a significant decrease uh, in performance just because we've got a restriction in the hip which is causing you know the lower leg to act inappropriately for running um, and therefore shortening the stride out so there's a lot of ways in which we can assess uh, runners and triathlete we're talking about triathletes at the moment and then give them guidance as to how to improve their performance either by increasing stride length by giving them the strength that they need so they don't have too much slack upon contact ground ground contact there's so many different things you can look at um and i usually look at, at each athlete and um yeah find that everyone has their, their their little nuances that they need to work on to improve their performance um rotational stability is a huge one too in in athletes that work over a long distance um so if their hips are rotating too much through the action uh, they don't have that rotational stability and sometimes that can come from the core as well and doing uh, inappropriate core training yeah and what sort of things would be inappropriate core training for runners um, if you look at a lot of people, especially young um, athletes, they tend to look at torso flexion as being the most important, <laughs> the most important <laughs> thing for the, the um, you know, they all want to have the six pack and those sorts of things, which we tell them just comes from having, you know, good nutritional intake. Um, but they're working on torso flexion rather than looking at the torso or the core, looking at the whole torso. So looking at what's happening in the um, posterior aspect, so how strong are the spinal stabilizers and the pelvic stabilizers through the back how strong am i through the rhomboids to pull the shoulder um, the shoulder blades down and back when i'm running and maintain good athletic posture um, how strong am i obliques so that i don't have too much inefficiencies in terms of rotation of the torso but just enough um so yeah getting away from and even the hovers and planks i think are pretty much overdone i mean obviously we need um torso stable stabilization training and we get that through planks and hovers and things like that but i think that we neglect the back of the torso i think that we neglect um, those muscles that are important for athletic posture that are important for rotational stability um, and really just lock the athlete into place to allow the levers the limbs to do what they need to do mm. So uh, don't worry too much about, about the vanity aspect of having a six-pack. It'll come with good diet and working the, the whole torso. The whole torso. The, uh, the most yeah, thinking, yeah, thinking about neck to hips. So thinking about the shoulder girdle, the pelvic girdle, and everything in between um, because all of those muscles will, you know, as we increase those strength as well, I mean, they act as shock absorbers, absorbers, they act as transfers from force from the upper body to the lower body. So even again, if we think of submaximal running in a triathlon or even if we think about that triathlete having to sprint to the finish to, you know, to take the place that they want, then we're looking at strength again and the capacity for the arm drive to add to the force that's going through the feet into the ground is going to be... Um, you know, related to the strength of the torso and its ability to transfer force from the upper body to the lower body. And that's the same as in swimming as well in the water. I mean, one of the really interesting things to think about for triathletes is that all of the strength and all of the uh, gym work that they do, the only way that that gets into the ground is through the feet. 
So if we don't have correct foot strike, then we're not actually going to get the force into the ground that we want to drive us you know, in forward propulsion or horizontal propulsion. So again, that comes back to foot strike. It comes back to how we efficiently use our strength and get that strength into the ground. There's so many things. It's, it's like cracking a puzzle. And like we've, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of swimmers. I, it, it could be close to a thousand where I've done um, video analysis and we look at it in slow motion from all these different angles. And it only at least for me, it only came with experience and working with so many different types of swimmers that you really get to understand the nuances of, mm. of technique and, and looking for these little things that can be hard to pick up with the, with the naked eye or can be hard to pick up without the experience of working with so many different types of athletes. Absolutely. I think getting someone that's got a trained eye um, is crucial. I mean, we often see coaches, do you know what I mean, that will break down running technique and they'll break it down frame by frame by frame. Um, and that's good to do. But I think if you have someone like yourself, do you know what I mean, that's been watching athletes for a few decades, do you know what I mean, and has the capacity to just see things um, immediately that need to be rectified for an increase in performance, I think having a trained eye is key. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that's what I find myself doing now. Like if I go to the pool and I'm going for a swim myself, I'll just if I'm warming up uh, outside the pool, I'll just kind of scan and see who's swimming and just out of habit, I'm just sort of looking mm. for, what, okay, what's this person doing? What can they change? And um, yeah, and just constantly looking for it. And I, I imagine you're probably very similar when it comes to if you're watching sport on TV or you've <sighs> got a group of athletes with you, you can see these little things straight away. And Absolutely. as much as you want to like say, well, you're doing this, this is how you fix it. Sometimes, well, obviously people don't always appreciate that if they're not asking for the advice, but, um, but you also know that there's a, there's a process and there's sometimes things that they have to understand in order to, to change it. Like it's not a quick fix. It's, it can be months and years of development that you're sort of seeing ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's so funny that you mentioned that. I can't watch sport um, at all anymore for pleasure um, because I just start analysing all the athletes. It drives my husband insane. Um, And also, if you start analysing other coaches' athletes, do you know what I mean? That's when you have to keep your mouth closed. But, um, But most definitely, when you're... Yeah, when you're like that and you've got that trained eye, you are constantly analysing performance. You're constantly analysing um, movements and inefficiencies. So one of the big things for me um, is looking at at energy leaks and inefficiencies in movement and how are we actually draining the athlete's fuel tank um, before you know we get to the finish line. Um, and how can we change that? And it's usually because of mobilities or lack of strength in specific joint structures and all those things that we've previously discussed. But having the eye to pick that up almost immediately um, be a, and be able to provide the athlete with that information is really important. I mean, this morning I was doing an analysis for someone who wants to get into the army. And so, you know, they have to do, I think it's like a 3.2K run with all of their, you know, pack and, and you know, the weight of all of their pack on their back so you know being able to provide those people and you know any athlete with advice that's going to improve their performance I mean that's where you know the joy comes for us as coaches yeah absolutely it's um it's hard to beat the feeling of someone uh, doing what you teach and working with them and then having them come back a week a few months later and having got the results that they are wanting like for example we had a um, we have a sort of uh, feedback uh, survey set up once someone comes to a clinic 
and it's set up, it's set up two or three days after attending a clinic. And we had a lady last week who was in a, uh, a clinic in Brisbane, and already she'd taken 32 seconds off her 400 freestyle mm. time. And so with some people, there are some really, uh, really easy things to change. And it, it just it's a matter of pointing them out and giving them a bit of a strategy to, to fix it. And yeah. some people, it's, it's going to take much longer than that. But even just you know, getting those sorts of results is a really good feeling. And I think as a coach, you're sort of really wanting to... Um, you know, get get that feedback because it gives you that kick. You go, okay, yeah, the, I sort of know what I'm talking about. This stuff works, <laughs> and all right, let's you know, let's see who else I can help. Yeah, that's so brilliant. I've got to tell you, I was just thinking while you were saying that about how um, where the biggest bang for your buck usually is, like in those submaximal distance based runners and for triathletes, and one of the uh, feet pieces of feedback that I usually, well, I always get actually is that um, if you see triathletes and they're landing with their toe in front of their hips, so, you know, they come down and their ankle's a little bit lax. And then what happens is that they find that they're striking their, with their toe first, then coming down onto their heel and they're actually landing in front of the hip. And that's causing a breaking force on every single step that that athlete takes. Well, there's one or two little drills that you can do just to fix that movement. So the hip, so that the foot's now landing underneath the hip and driving the body forward. Um, and just like you said, where you get those amazing results in a short period of time, that's one of the big ones for us. So in terms of running, if the athletes strike, you know, causing those breaking forces because the foot's landing too far in front of the hips, fixing that with a few little ankling drills and getting them to to understand what it feels like to pull the foot under the hip and drive the body forward. You know, they're taking minutes and minutes off, um, you know, race times. Wow. Uh, to me, it sounds like the the thing that's probably similar in, in swimming for us is um, is just teaching people how to get the, the catch and the, the pull right. So what their arms are doing in the water at the beginning of the, the pull. So for most people, it for, for a lot of people that we work with, they're often not really getting the forearm and the hand to press back against the water that well mm-hmm. uh, because they're not getting the elbow to sort of internally rotate or the arm to internally rotate at the beginning of the catch. So we go through a couple of sculling drills, which a lot of people have done, but we sort of do them a little bit differently. And we just get them to make that elbow rotation in that in that drill, in that skull. And just that change alone for a lot of people can just get them to hold so much more water and be a lot more effective with their, their catch and pull. And mm. if someone is just... Um, you know, hasn't got much of a, a catch, That that's where that big improvement can come from. That's where 32 seconds in 400 meters can come from. So it sounds like that's probably the the most similar thing to, to that running change. Yeah, and it all comes down to the physics. So, you know, you're talking about basic physics and the movement of forces um, in the pool, and that's what we're talking about, you know, on the track or on the road or whatever it might, or on the field or the court or whatever athlete it is that we're working with. It's how do we actually get the forces moving in the correct direction to drive the body of the athlete in the direction that we want with minimal effort. Mm, Yeah, exactly right. And one thing that um, the people often say to us when they come to clinics is like they'll be told these phrases or these terms or things to do in swimming by coaches and probably the most commonly used one is 
like high elbow. And so the coach might be saying higher elbow, higher elbow. But a lot of times the swimmer doesn't understand what they actually mean because they've never been taught. And so mm-hmm. some swimmers will think, okay, I need a high elbow in my recovery as I bring my arm over the top. And some will think, okay, it's in the, the water. And it, they just don't have the, um, the background to know what they actually need to do to be able to change it. And it's hard to just sort of think about that term and then change it. You sort of need to go through a bit of a process to help someone, first of all, understand what the, what that term actually means and why we want to do it and then how you go about it. So all these sort of phrases get thrown about and I'd be interested to see if you, there's a few of those in, in running as well. It's, um, the coaches High have, knees. High knees, yeah. High knees. Or, or even worse, uh, run faster. So, you know, you're... <laughs> And we like a, a swimming coach saying, swim faster. It's like, okay, can you teach me how? Um, so most definitely we get that. Our high knees is the big one. And it's very similar to the high elbow that you were talking about. Um, and I think that's where we really need to think of our roles as coaches, as educators. And that's what we should be doing for our athletes. You know, we want to educate them as to to the understanding of what we want them to do and why we want them to do it and how doing what we want them to do will actually improve their performance. So not only are we educating them, but we're getting the buy-in from the athletes as well um, to, to go through, some, you know, sometimes silly drills, do you know what I mean, that we want them to do, um, but that we know will improve their performance once they get that technique down pat where it becomes, you know, a natural movement for them. So mm. training the nervous system, you know, to actually follow a specific pattern and line of movement that we know will be, you know, be be of benefit to them um but yeah coaches as educators i think that's the key uh not coaches who bark orders <laughs> there's so much yeah. crossover there with swimming and running i mean we when we run clinics we only go through i think it's five drills and whenever you say the word drills you'll get a quarter of people who will roll their eyes and go oh, here we go again some more drills because they've just been hammered with them at, at training and then you'll get some people who've never done them before. And then probably half the people have, have done, the, done them before and they think they're great, but they don't quite understand the reason behind them. And so the reason mm. we do them is because uh, often the mistakes that we see in the video analysis, they'll come out in the drills. So, for example, if someone uh, is there entering and extending forward in freestyle, if their fingertips are coming up to the surface and sort of putting the brakes on it, that's going to slow them down. And when we do some of the basic kicking drills on their front with the hands out in front of them, that floor or that area will come into that drill. So those the fingertips will come back up. So if we can get them to make that change within the drill and get the feel for the, the right thing to be doing, then it becomes a whole lot easier to change it in their swim stroke. Whereas yep. if they try and just do that without going through the drill, it can be a lot harder to actually know what you want to achieve uh, in the stroke. So that's that's why we do do the drills. And it's uh, a lot of times coaches just aren't explaining the why behind them. That That's why yeah. you get swimmers who roll their eyes at the, the word drills. Yeah. And, and as you said there, like the drills – Drills are a perfect way to actually identify weaknesses in in movements and in performances of athletes. Mm. I mean, we use you know we use the ankling drill for foot strike. So we want to look at how an athlete's striking the ground with their foot. We look at foot recovery drills. Uh, we look at full stride cycle drills as well. Um, and then once we've looked at everything from the belly button down, then we'll start looking belly button up and have a look at what's happening through the torso and through the movements of the arms. And just being able to break that down, as you said, and break it down in specific drills, you can identify identify what needs to be corrected and I think one of the really um, 
cool things that we can bring into athletic training as well. And you can do this in any sport and swimming's key as well. Is once a coach has been able to identify where the weaknesses are in a specific athlete and they can give them the drills to rectify that, then allowing each athlete to have their own warm-up period rather than having a whole squad of people doing the same warm-up, you know, the same mobility exercises and, you know, getting them ready to then come into the conditioning phase for the coach. But if we can find a way to do individual warm-up and individual athletic prep work for each young athlete so that we can work on their weaknesses and make their weaknesses then a strength um, and then pull them into the conditioning phase together as a squad, um, but allow them to work on those little things that they need to work on uh, in their warm-up before they come together as a team. Yeah, that's that's so important. And I think, you know, if if everyone is doing exactly the same thing and there's no individual um, no individual program or there's there's nothing specific for that athlete to to focus on because they don't know what it is that they're doing, it can be very hard to... Um, to b- relate a lot of the stuff that you're doing in a in a workout, and we when we were running clinics probably three years ago, we had big groups of, of 24 swimmers, and now we we cap it at 12 swimmers, two coaches, so everyone gets individual feedback, and they come away from the the clinics knowing, okay, these are the two or three drills that I need to focus on, and this is what I need to to be thinking about in my warm up, and then when I go about my normal swim set and my session. Uh, yeah, I've got these these couple of points in mind. Otherwise, if the coach is, you know, just giving uh, very general technique um, advice at a session, they it, it may not be relevant for that person. And I understand there's limitations when you are running a squad that you've got a lot of swimmers or you've got a lot of runners. But the more specific an individual you can be, the much better the the athlete's going to be with their progression. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like to work one-on-one um, and it, it, with our other coaches, we're the same. We work probably five or less athletes so that we can give that specialised attention and, and specific feedback and have the eyes running over all the joint structures of the athletes through the specific drills. I think that what you gain from that is that you gain a faster response to training than rather than being in a big squad. And whether you can do that just, you know, in the warm-up or if you can do that as, you know, one specialised technical session that you do with a coach one-on-one through the, you know, the weekly schedule of a young athlete, I, I think that that's really the key to getting increases in performance over a much shorter period of time. And, Renelle, can you uh, let the, the listeners know what – sort of things that you offer at the Academy of Sports Speed. I know you've got quite a few different sort of uh, services that you offer, but I'm sure there'd be quite a bit of um, relevancy, particularly for the, the triathletes listening. Yeah, well, for the triathletes, we do um, video assessments. So I have athletes from all over the world uh, send me uh, videos of their running. And we actually have on our website um, – we have a video assessment guideline sheet. So any athlete that's interested in that can see what we need them to video and how we want them to video it, you know, from a lateral perspective or from front on. And then what happens is that um, I'll sit down and I'll actually analyse those athletes they're running and provide recommendations and a full report for them um, on what they need to do moving forward to enhance their performance. So that's probably... um, something that's key for your listeners absolutely that we provide um we also i also do that face to face you know i have speed assessments that that i run you know practically every week um here in sydney 
and then also strength and conditioning. So if you've got athletes who are thinking, I probably do need to do a little bit more strength work, then based on a functional assessment, so their capacities, as I said before, to squat, lunge, hinge, um, you know, push, press, all those sorts of movements, um, then we can look at where we need to improve strength for their specific performance that they need to get rid of some of that running slack um, or, you know, for your swimmers to be able to get rid of that drag as you were mentioning in the water and get that explosiveness off the blocks as well. So um, I do a lot of uh, strength and conditioning programming by distance and a lot of um, video assessments in terms of mechanics of running via distance as well. Awesome. And where's the best place to, to find all of that? If you go to our website, which is the academyofsportspeed.com, then you'll find links to absolutely everything. There's a whole... Um, there's a whole lot of training videos on there uh, which athletes can access. There's a whole lot of mobility sheets and things like that that they can access as well if they've identified that they do have, you know, hip restrictions and they want to work on that. There's a lot of free information that they can get off the website. It also has links to our Facebook page and our Twitter accounts if they want to get in contact with us via social media. Um, but definitely, oh, and the other thing it has too is a contact us form. So, and that's on the homepage of the website as well. So if they have a specific need that they think we can help them with, most definitely use that contact us form. Awesome. Renal, thanks for being on the podcast. I really enjoy talking with uh, someone like yourself and you know a lot more than I do when it comes to biomechanics and that sort of thing. But it's all it's really good to see the, the crossover between the two sports there. And um, and you obviously know your stuff and you're, you're based up in Sydney. And uh, when I'm up there next, I'm hoping to catch up with, um, with yourself and your partner Kip because um, I, I think we uh, have a lot to talk about as we, uh, as we just saw. Yeah, that would be absolutely brilliant. Look, Thank you for having me. It has been a real pleasure speaking to you and I really hope your listeners get one or two little tidbits out of the information that we've been talking about to help them. I'm sure they will. Thanks for now. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.